Welcome to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network, a show that streams health, happiness, and hope to the kidney community. You can download all Kidney Talk shows from iTunes and find a variety of resources to help you navigate this illness at rsnhope.org. Please welcome your host, Lori Hartwell, who has lived with kidney disease since the age of two. Well, welcome to Kidney Talk. Um, Today, we're going to be discussing a very important subject that patients need to know about, and it's basically anemia management. In the past, anemia management has gotten a lot of attention, and I think there's been a lot of changes happening in the community the last couple of years, and, and I really want patients to understand, you know, what role they take in managing their anemia. So today, I'm really excited to have um, Dr. A.J. Gupta. He's uh, the Chief Scientific Officer for Rockwell Medical. He's a practicing nephrologist out of the University of California, Irvine. And um, also, I'm quite excited because he actually invented a product called Triferic, and it's a it's a product that helps people um, manage their anemia with iron replacement. So welcome to the show, Dr. Gupta. Uh, thank you, Laurie, and uh, I'd like to thank you for giving me this opportunity to address uh, the patients. Well, you know, I have to say that I'm, I love innovation, and I love people who work really hard to create solutions for people who have kidney disease. So um, the pleasure is mine. So if you can maybe tell us a little bit about, to explain to the audience, about what is anemia and what does it mean to manage it? would be happy to. So, um, a major constituent of blood are the red blood cells, and it's the red blood cells that carry oxygen to our uh, tissues, mm-hmm. including the heart. When we don't have enough red blood cells in the body to carry the oxygen, then that is called or referred to as anemia. And when you have chronic kidney disease, most people have anemia. I mean, it's because the kidneys stimulate a hormone that help make red blood cells. So not all, I guess the majority of patients will probably encounter some sort of anemia if they're dealing with kidney disease. Is that correct? That is correct. Uh, So our kidneys produce what we call erythropoietin. And before the 1980s, uh, we um, majority of the patients had anemia which was treated with blood transfusions. Mm -hmm. And that's because we did not have erythropoietin to treat these patients. Then back in the late 1980s, erythropoietin became available. And erythropoietin uh, sort of kick-starts the the bone marrow to produce uh, red blood cells. And when erythropoietin became available, initially it was uh, epogen from amgen, and subsequently, we have uh, darbopoietin or aranesp, and we have now mercera. So erythropoietin stimulates the bone marrow to produce red blood cells. And when red blood cells are being produced, they also require iron as a nutrient to make hemoglobin, which uh, fills up the red blood cells and helps carry oxygen. So there are two things that... Uh, patients with kidney disease essentially need to make red blood cells. One is uh, erythropoietin, and the second is iron, in addition to, of course, numerous micronutrients that are needed needed to produce red blood cells. Now, I, I understand, you know, anemia, because when you talk about people who needed transfusions, 
I received over 150 units of blood. Every six weeks, I got two units of blood through all throughout the 80s and the late 70s. And I remember when um, the ESAs became erythropoiet and became available, it was just so exciting because we have so many options nowadays to manage our anemia. For me, the last thing I wanted was a blood transfusion. <laughs> I think I'd had my fair share by then. And, and blood transfusions also cause antibodies, which... Uh, for those of the people listening, you need to be educated about that because if you're looking for a transplant, um, one of the things that uh, you want to try to avoid is a blood transfusion because it it can create antibodies for you and you don't want a lot of antibodies when you're trying to find a match. So uh, so you you got into this and what what are some of the symptoms that you've experienced that patients express when they have anemia? I know what I felt, but... Uh, as a practicing nephrologist? Well, commonly the patients, uh, they suffer from weakness, uh, lethargy, fatigue, their exercise tolerance is uh, limited, they are not able to do the usual activities that they could do before the onset of uh, kidney failure, and uh, also this can actually worsen their their heart failure. So these are some of the... uh, symptoms and complications of having uh, anemia. And, you know, one of the things that I think is is important for patients to know is that they really need to become their own advocate by understanding their lab values. So when if a patient is feeling kind of tired, there can be, you know, perhaps, you know, they, they haven't been, they don't feel well, they have the flu. I know if you, if you don't get dialyzed enough, you can feel tired. But your labs tell you where your anemia level is. So can you explain a little bit about hematocrit and hemoglobin, the different, and then there's also some ferritin levels on your lab that patients should be aware of? Yes, certainly. So hemoglobin, uh, which we uh, routinely do in our patients uh, um, at least once a month, it is the most important parameter to diagnose uh, anemia. Ideally, we would like a hemoglobin and dialysis patients to be uh, more than 9 and trending towards 10 to 11 range. In terms of the other parameters we measure are uh, the parameters of uh, iron levels. And these are uh, transferrin saturation and more importantly, serum ferritin. Ferritin level is a marker of uh, iron stores. Even though it it also is a marker of the inflammation in the body, but uh, it's a very important marker of uh, iron stores. The ferritin level in uh, dialysis patients, uh, ideal ferritin level is around uh, 200 to 500 range. There are uh, numerous studies uh, showing that when the ferritin level exceeds uh, 500, micrograms per liter, then it is associated with the severe iron overload Mm -hmm. in the liver. And therefore, patients need to be aware of uh, what their hemoglobin is, what their serum ferritin level is, what sort of ESA or erythropoietin dose that the patients are getting, because many patients have resistance to the action of erythropoietin and erythropoietin is associated with numerous uh, side effects, uh, including the risk of cardiovascular disease and potentially cancer. 
In the United States, it is very common for patients to have serum ferritin levels above 500, and that's because patients are given excessive amounts of uh, uh, intravenous iron. The way intravenous iron works is that uh, it is like a foreign particle that is uh, taken up by the liver, spleen, lymph nodes, and it is not efficiently released to be taken up by the bone marrow. Because of this uh, inefficiency associated with the administration of intravenous iron, there is a tissue iron overload and a functional iron deficiency that uh, takes place. This uh, tissue iron overload, as represented by ferritin levels above 500 micrograms per liter, can predispose the patients to the risk of infections and potentially other diseases such as heart disease and uh, cancer. And therefore, patients should be aware of what their hemoglobin is, what is their ferritin level, what is their ESA dose, and how much iron. And in dialysis patients, we administer intravenous iron routinely. How much intravenous iron are they getting? With, with ESAs, with erythropoietin, it's given by either you, you give yourself a subcutaneous injection or it's given through an IV push during dialysis. I know that there's, um, in the work, there's an actual a pill form, but that's not out yet, I believe. So with iron, what are the different ways that you can get iron? Because sometimes you're not even aware of the medication you're getting. Correct, correct. So in, in patients who have kidney disease but are not yet on dialysis, we usually administer them uh, iron orally by mouth, and that is uh, usually enough to to help them make the red blood cells and prevent or treat the development of uh, anemia. Only a minority of patients who are not on dialysis require or need intravenous iron administration. On the other hand, when we look at dialysis patients, especially hemodialysis patients, Hemodialysis patients lose blood from their vascular axis when the needles are uh, uh, put in. They also get trapping of the blood in the dialysis circuit. And dialysis patients also have more tendency to bleed from their, uh, from their gut, from their gastrointestinal tract. Mm-hmm. And therefore, these patients, they have excessive losses, which amount to about a gram of uh, iron per year, about 1,000 milligrams of iron per year. This much iron cannot be usually either taken through the diet and the absorption of oral iron is impaired. The iron supplements by mouth, they are not efficiently absorbed in dialysis patients and also not well tolerated. Consequently, uh, it is routine practice to administer intravenous iron to these patients. But one has to understand that the way intravenous iron works and the way the intravenous iron has been approved for administration, it is for repletion of depleted iron stores. It is not approved and not indicated for routine administration to prevent the development of iron deficiency. Routine administration of intravenous iron can potentially lead to uh, iron overload which is what we are witnessing in our hemodialysis patient population, especially uh, these days. On the other hand, uh, there is uh, indeed another drug 
that you mentioned in the beginning of your talk, which is uh, triferic. This was approved by the FDA uh, about two years ago, and this is uh, indicated to be administered on a routine basis through the dialysis solution to compensate for the regular iron losses that are occurring in these patients. So triferic administered through the dialysis solution replaces about 5 to 7 milligrams of iron with every dialysis treatment and it prevents the development of iron deficiency and iron deficiency anemia without actually causing any iron overload. So the patients need to know about triferic, the fact that this is the only iron supplement that is FDA approved for regular administration in uh, dialysis patients in a, in a maintenance mode and they, need, they can learn more about Triferic by going to the Triferic website, which is www.triferic.com. Well, you know what's really interesting about that? Because I was thinking of the different ways that I received iron when I was on dialysis. And, you know, I got an um, IV. Um, and, you know, they always do a test when they're going to give an injection to make sure you don't have some kind of reaction. Because uh, I guess... I was lucky I didn't have one, but um, you can have a reaction. That's why they give a test dose. And then you have the pill form. Um, and then the third way is that they mix it in your dialysate or it's part of the dialysate. And, and I'm thinking how dialysis works. It works more on an osmosis basis or diffusion where it just kind of gives you as much as you need as your body's lacking. Is that, is, is that a correct way to visualize it? <laughs> Indeed, Laurie, you are a very well-informed uh, dialysis patient, or former dialysis patient. So, indeed, the uh, uh, triferic diffuses across the dialyzer membrane from the dialysis solution into the blood compartment. And it's a very unique uh, iron drug. It does not have any sugar moiety, any carbohydrate in it, and it donates the iron very directly and rapidly to transferrin. And this is the only uh, only iron compound that is able to donate the iron directly and specifically to uh, transferrin, which is the iron carrier in uh, everybody's blood. Transferrin then carries the iron to the bone marrow where it is used to make hemoglobin, which is the component of the red blood cells and carries oxygen to the tissues as we talked about. Well, you know, when I think about iron and somebody who had to take it, there was a couple of things that were side effects. And one of them is constipation. You know, you take iron and you, you know, that's one of the reasons I didn't like to take it. Is that, um, is that a problem with, with uh, all irons or just certain irons? So um, when we give iron orally by mouth, iron supplements, then they interfere with the gut microbiome. So our gut has uh, trillions and trillions of uh, bacteria, which is very important uh, for immune, immune function, for general health of our body. When we give iron by mouth, then it helps the growth of uh, bad bacteria in the gut, but does not help the growth of good bacteria. Oh. Because of this imbalance in the gut microbiome, in the gut bacteria, this leads to either constipation or, or diarrhea. 
uh, in different patients. On the other hand, intravenous iron or iron through the dialysis solution, triferric, this does not lead to the, the problem with the, the gut and does not lead to constipation or diarrhea. Wow. I do want to address your earlier question regarding uh, hypersensitivity or anaphylaxis, you know, these severe reactions that you alluded mm-hmm. to. So, th- this is well known that intravenous iron, because it has the sugar moiety in it, uh, it can cause allergic kind of reactions which can be catastrophic. This can cause anaphylaxis, which uh, leads to uh, the patient having to stop. Uh, patients uh, uh, cannot breathe and uh, they have uh, a collapse, cardiovascular collapse. Uh, they have to be sometimes intubated and hospitalized. And, uh, and many patients have actually uh, unfortunately died from uh, the use of uh, intravenous iron. Therefore, there are strict warnings that when intravenous iron is administered, the uh, equipment for resuscitation and trained personnel should be, should be around. One uh, major advantage of uh, triferic uh, is that it does not have any sugar moiety in it, no carbohydrate in it, and therefore it really minimizes the risk of uh, hypersensitivity reactions in the, in the clinical program in which we administered more than 100,000 doses of uh, triferic, we did not encounter a single case of a serious uh, hypersensitivity reaction um, and no patients required hospitalization because of any such hypersensitivity reactions. Wow, that's pretty impressive. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, that makes sense. I mean, you're taking the iron pill and... Every time I would take that pill, I mean, I knew that it was, you know, because you can't drink a lot when you're on dialysis, so you can't really flush it out. And, you know, that can be worse than the anemia sometimes. Um, my, my, my follow-up question is, is, how did you come up with this idea? Well, um, back in the 1990s, I was aware of this problem with uh, intravenous iron, that uh, this is a particulate matter. It is uh, taken up by the body stores before it can be released, and that release is very inefficient. So I wanted to find an iron compound that could be delivered directly into the circulation and that would donate the iron directly to the iron carrier transferrin. By extensive uh, research and looking into the literature, I came up uh, with a compound, a soluble ferric pyrophosphate, which is now called ferric pyrophosphate citrate, which has this property that it is highly soluble, does not have any sugar moiety, is a, is a small molecular weight compound, and it donates the iron directly to transferrin very rapidly within a matter of minutes and completely. So therefore, it uh, overcomes the many, many drawbacks that are associated with the use of uh, intravenous iron. And the fact that it's a soluble, small molecular weight iron salt, it can be delivered very efficiently through the dialysis solution. And that really simplifies the the procedures and processes in the dialysis unit. And it uh, frees up the nurses to do 
real patient care instead of focusing uh, and, and spending their time on filling up syringes and administering uh, intravenous iron. So it is, uh, it, is, uh, it is very good for the patients from their health point of view and also from the efficiency of the dialysis unit, it is, uh, it is helpful to the, to the staff in the dialysis center. So if patients want to, you know, this is basically a change in facility of dialysate. So if I'm a patient and I'm, you know, worried about iron and want to ask my, what would be the first step that I, would I just talk to my doctor about it? Indeed. Uh, So first I would, uh, as a patient, uh, I would want to know from my physician or other uh, healthcare providers in the dialysis unit as to uh, how am I doing in terms of anemia, what's my hemoglobin, um, what's my uh, ferritin level, uh, how much ESA am I getting, how much IV iron am I getting, and then what are the alternatives uh, to intravenous iron? Is triferric available in the dialysis unit for uh, administration? And uh, I would uh, urge my physician to, to look into administering uh, or looking at triferic as an alternative to intravenous iron. To wrap up this interview, Dr. Gupta, I'm I'm always impressed by doctors, nephrologists, healthcare workers who burn the midnight oil to make our lives better. Because I'm sure that uh, there were on many occasions you didn't, <laughs> you weren't certain if this was going to work, but you just pushed through, and you know that's commendable because. We need more healthcare professionals and researchers to try to find solutions for us. So um, I want to thank you, and this has been a very informative article. And if people want to learn more about um, iron management, you can go to uh, triferic.com. This is a, a, a company website, so you need to do your research and learn all about it and become your own advocate. So uh, thank you again, and I look forward to learning more about how this improves patients' lives. Uh, My pleasure, and thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network. Please make sure to find us on Facebook or sign up for our newsletter at rsnhope.org. Kidney Talk is intended for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment from your physician. Always seek the advice of your own health care provider regarding your medical condition.